Well, we are, uh, we're in week three this morning of a series just called The Gospel. We are taking a look at really what is the lifeblood of who we are? How, what is the, the core of who we are? What do we believe? And, and, and how does that change the way that we live our life? And so the first week, uh, we started out this series uh, and, and really talking about counter-gospels and talking about deception and spiritual deception. So that week we spent a lot of time in Matthew chapter 7, and, and the, the goal of that week, I want you to hear this, the goal of that week was not to call anyone out specifically on, on being deceived, but it was maybe to, to just to call us to follow the lead of 2 Corinthians 13. It says, examine yourselves and test whether or not you are in the faith. It says, don't you know that Christ lives in you, unless, of course, you fail the test. This is Paul speaking. That, that last part was not me, even that was Paul. Unless, of course, you fail the test. So, so we test ourselves, and we ask ourselves, and we, we look at these pictures in Matthew chapter 7 of the, the wide path and the narrow path, the, the sandy soil and the rocky, the, and the foundation on the rock. We look at the good tree and the bad tree, and, and we just ask the question, what path am I on? And there's really two answers, and and you can answer, yes, I'm on the right path. I feel like I'm, I, I'm in with God. And, and, and if that's your answer, then amen to that. And I, I pray that this series would just, would just point you to, to rediscovering the joy of your salvation and rediscovering the joy of the gospel and the peace of the gospel and, how it's, and just celebrating how it's taken root in you. I, I, I hope that this series is a celebratory series for you as we talk about the gospel that you would know that, man, this has taken root in me, and this is, it is joyful to do this. But the other answer is no, that I'm not on the right path. I'm not going the right way. And, and I've, I've, I've kind of assumed my salvation on a, on a without biblical foundation. And I, and I hope that you find yourself in this series just running to Christ, just running to Christ and, and just to trust Him for your salvation. Last week, we, we talked about what it is that we believe. What is this gospel? And I gave you one long sentence to talk about what the gospel is. And, and I just want to say this sentence again. The gospel is this. That the just and gracious creator of the universe, the creator of all things, looked in, at us as, as hopelessly sinful people and in response sent his son Jesus Christ to bear the wrath of God on the cross and to show the power of God over sin and over death through the resurrection so that anyone who believes in him, that all who would believe and have faith would be reconciled to God forever. This is the gospel. This is what we believe. This is, this is, this is who we are. And I want to make kind of a transition this morning from, from looking at the gospel, not just in terms of what we believe, even though it is we spent a whole week on what we believe for a reason. This is, this is the gospel. This is what we believe. But I want to I make a transition this morning from, from really just thinking of the gospel as something that we believe and looking at how this gospel transforms who we are, transforms our lives, transforms us as people who have accepted this gospel. And I want to I focus this morning in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you're, I encourage you to, if you have your Bible, to, to turn there with me. John chapter 3, if you're in one of the Pew Bibles on page 751. And, uh, and no doubt this morning that you will recognize one or two of these verses that we're going to read this morning. Maybe you've had it memorized for years. But I, I hope that, that as we read this and as we look at it in the whole context of where it sits in Scripture, that we will maybe see the Scripture 
anew this morning. So John chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very, I tr- very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to spirit, but the spirit gives birth, uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Jesus responds, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the, the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up as everyone, that everyone believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You probably recognize a couple of these verses this morning, hopefully. I want to unpack this passage, though. And I want to start in verse 3, and it's a phrase we, we've heard a lot maybe in our history, but it's a phrase we hear less often nowadays, born again. Jesus uses this phrase in verse 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And it begs the question as you read this scripture, are you born again? And I know for certain there are many in this place right now who are born again. Again, I'm not trying to call anyone out this morning, but part of the reason I think we don't hear this phrase much anymore is because I think this phrase has lost some of its meaning. We talk about born again, and and, uh, there's a Christian company that does a lot of polling. You've heard me talk about them before, the Barna Group. They do a lot, of, uh, a lot of studies about the church and a lot of studies about what people believe about the church and what Christians believe and, and all this kind of thing. And, and one of the first questions they ask you if you, if you are, are being asked questions by them is about being born again. And here's, here's their question. Have you ever made a personal commitment to Jesus that's still important in your life today? And if you answer yes, they say, do you believe you're going to heaven? And if you say yes, 
then they would, they would count you in the born-again category. I'm not calling them out one way or the other on that, but, but the result of that is that over half the people that they interview, and not, they're not just interviewing Christians, mind me, they're, they're interviewing everyone, about half the people that they're interviewing are, are qualified, in their words, as born-again Christians. And the fascinating part to me is the rest of their studies, though about the actual lives of these born-again Christians, these born-again people who, who their lives, there's such drastically different beliefs in every single one of these people's lives. Right? You look at, you look at the, the statistics even of, of people who would say that they're born again and people who would say that, man, I want nothing to do with God. And there are, there are many similarities. Right? They're, they're, the way that they think the way that they listen and, and the, what they listen to, what they watch for entertainment is, is much the same. The way they think about material possessions is, is pretty much the same. The divorce rate is the same. The, the, we view injustice the same way. And their lives are virtually indistinguishable one way or the other. You can't, if you were just to look at the statistics without saying one is born again Christian and one is not, you would not be able to know the difference. And I don't know about you, but that bothers me. That, and that doesn't just bother me a little bit. That bothers me a lot because the conclusion that you can get from these studies is, is really that, that a born-again Christian doesn't live or believe much different than a person who doesn't believe anything at all. Now, how can that be? So this morning, I, I just want to talk about what it means to be born again. To, what, is it, what does it look like to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? Because it's more than just believing this, this gospel that we talked about last week. There is something that happens within us. And I want to just, just unpack that this morning. What does it mean to be born again? And so I want to look at this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And I think as we do so, we can gain some insight and, and into what God does within each and every one of us. And we'll see, I think, throughout this whole thing that the grace of God permeates all of our salvation. There is no salvation apart from the grace of God. In John, John chapter 3, there's a, few different, there's a few different ways I want to just talk about what does it mean to be born again? What happens when we are born again? Here's the, the first thing that has to happen when we're born again is that God reveals our need. When we are born again, God reveals our need. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is talking to Jesus here. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a member uh, of the Jewish ruling council. And so Nicodemus has spent much of his adult life, if not even longer as he's growing up into this, is he's been spending his life learning about and talking about and teaching about the kingdom of God. And here's Jesus coming onto the scene, and he says, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is just confused at this point. What do you mean I have to be born again? I mean, he brings science. He's like, he's like hold on, Jesus. Now, physically, this isn't possible. You can't, you can't tell me that I'm going to go back into my mom's womb. Like, this is not a possible thing. And Jesus says, oh, of course not. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about putting you back in your mouth. That's not what I'm talking about. But Nicodemus is confused. How? How can I be born again? 
See, but, but here's the thing about, about being born again. Being, being, uh, this new birth that we have is necessary to know God. If we, are, if we are to see the kingdom of God, if we are to know God, then we must be born again. We must have this new birth in our life. We, and because it's not an option, and because of that, we, it's, it's impossible for us. Just by the nature of being born again, which one of us can say, yeah, I'm going to go back into my mom's womb and I'm going to be born again? None of us can say that. It is impossible to be born again apart from God. It is impossible without God. We can't manufacture it. There's nothing we can do or say or work towards that will get us there. And this is the picture of salvation throughout Scripture. I mean, you look in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, there's a story about the rich young ruler who, who thinks he's done everything that he needs to do. Teacher, what, is it, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him this list of things, and he says, I've done all of that. And Jesus says, you're still lacking. You're still not there. You need to, to sell everything you have and then come and follow me. Come and follow me. And the ruler walks away sad. I think part of the reason he walks away sad is because he can't do it on his own. It's impossible without God. This is the picture of salvation all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. We cannot do it. And that shouldn't be surprising to you if you've read what Scripture says about us before we are born again. There's just a quick snapshot of, of what Scripture talks about when it's talking about me and you before we are born again. Here's what it, what it says about us. It says that we are, we are morally evil. Some of you are like, whoa, pastor, hold on. You just called me evil. Sinful, I can take. I understand if you call me sinful, I can get that. But you call me evil. And I, I'm not calling you evil this morning. Scripture is calling you evil this morning. There's scriptures all over the place. Genesis 8, 21, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Luke chapter 11, if you, though, know, know, even if you, though, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more so does your Father in heaven? All right, even in this passage, John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. <coughs> Scripture says that we are we're morally evil. Scripture says that we are also slaves to sin. John chapter 3, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I, you can't put it more plainly than that. If, you, if everyone who sins is a slave to sin, we, we are slaves to sin. Romans 6, 6 to 20 is a great uh, kind of passage there by Paul that talks about that. And even in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says we've been taken captive by the devil. Right, we, are, we are slaves to skin, a sin. We are blind to the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I, I love this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And by the God of this age, it's a little g. It's not talking about God our Father. He's talking about the God of this age. This is Satan we're talking about here. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We've been blinded. We've been blinded to the truth, and we are, we're spiritually dead. And this, this imagery of being dead as before we're born again is, is all throughout Scripture. We talked a little bit about it last week. Romans chapter 5, 12 talks about a physical death. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 talks about a spiritual death. And Romans chapter 6, 23 talks about just eternal death. And this is, this is the picture of us in Scripture if, we're, if we are not born again. And how is it possible for us to do anything? It's not. It is not possible for us to do anything to be born again, to be saved. It is not possible for any of us to do anything at. This new birth, this salvation that we're talking about is dependent on God. Apart from the grace of God, there is nothing that we can do. And when we reach the point of being able to understand that, I think we have reached the point of of the heart of what it means to be born again. We cannot do this on our own. This, this is the gospel. That God comes to us where we are without us having to do anything to deserve this. He, he comes to us where we are and He gives us this new birth. This new birth. And in this new birth, God reveals our need. God also changes our heart. If you look back at John chapter 3 with me, Verse 5 and 6. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Nicodemus is obviously confused at this point. What are you talking about? Obviously, I cannot be born again. I cannot be physically born again. But this imagery that Jesus uses here of of water and spirit is not a new picture. And definitely it's not a new picture for Nicodemus, who is a teacher. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's one of the, those who is trying to teach everyone about the kingdom of God. This imagery of water and spirit is not a new picture for him. In fact, if you go back to, to Ezekiel chapter 36, if you're in one of our pew Bibles, sorry, I forgot that part. Uh, on 613 Ezekiel chapter 36 starting at verse 24 says this I will I will take you out from the nations out of the nations I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities from and from all your idols and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is God talking to the people of Israel here. You see this imagery of of water that uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all all your idols. How does God change our heart? Well, the first thing he does is he cleanses us. Second thing he does is he dwells in us. Right? Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Right? We have the spirit dwelling within us. And I think sometimes in the church we have a tendency to focus on number one here. We have a tendency to focus on, on the cleansing power of God changing our hearts. We have we focus on this forgiveness aspect and we, we cling to this forgiveness and we sing songs about this forgiveness but sometimes we lose, we lose focus on this second part that the Spirit of God is within us. And the Spirit of God within us as God changes our heart and, and puts the Spirit of God within each and every one of us I, I, 
to be able to, to only focus on number one reveal, re, kind of removes the spirit from this act of salvation. And where it puts the focus on us. I am clean now. When in reality, I'm clean, but the Spirit of God is in me, and now the Spirit of God lives through me, and it's about God. Just even as we read this passage, the word I comes up so much, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And here's the time it talks about you, and you will be clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is the focus here is on, on God. And the result is that we will be cleaned. When we're born again, God changes our heart. He cleanses us. He dwells in us. God reveals to us our need for him. He changes our heart and he transforms our lives. He transforms our lives. In two different ways, really. He transforms our lives for for our eternal good. All right, we look at John 3.16, that verse that maybe you knew in that passage for... God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish and have eternal life. That is, that is for our eternal good that we, our lives have been transformed. Amen. But it is for his eternal glory. Amen. It is for his eternal glory. Even in this passage in Ezekiel, if you look just back a little bit, verse 22, he says, it's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. I'm doing this for my name. My name must be glorified. I'm not doing this for your sake, I'm doing this for the sake of my name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. This is about God. Right, when, when God transforms our lives, it's for our eternal good, but it's for his eternal glory. Amen. Not for our sake. Amen. See, being... Being born again is more than just believing a certain set of ideas. It's more than just hearing the the gospel that we talked about last week, that this just, gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the wrath of God on the cross and to, to display the power of God over sin and over death so that all who would believe, that all who would have faith, would be restored to God forever. It's more than just believing in this gospel. Because when we believe in this gospel, if we really truly believe it, there are things that change within our lives, that God, God changes things within us. We see our need for God, that we realize what, if this is the gospel, that, that God looked at me as a hopeless sinner and he sent his son for me so that if I have faith in him, that I would be restored to him forever. And if that is true, then my life is I need God. 
My need, my need for God is revealed in this gospel. I, I need that. And, and what, I, what happens is when I, when, I, when I address this need for God and when I go to God and I say, God, I, I need you. I, I can't do this on my own anymore. I believe in this gospel. I want to live in this gospel. This gospel is who I am. When we believe that gospel, God, God changes things in us. He changes our heart. He cleans our heart. He purifies us from all unrighteousness, Scripture says. And not only does He, not only does he cleanse our heart, he, he gives us a new one. And He puts a spirit within us so that as we live, we're not living for us anymore. We are living for our Father in heaven. We are living, we are, <coughs> we are following His lead in our lives. He cleanses our heart and He... And he he gives us a new heart. He puts a spirit within us. And he transforms our lives. Our lives look different as a result of this gospel. They have to look different as a result of this gospel. Because here's what happens if they don't. Then people begin to look at these surveys and all this stuff about what born-again Christians believe and, and see no difference between believers and non-believers, and they begin to think, why do I need that? And they're not wrong. If it doesn't change anything within us, if we're not different because of this gospel, then what's the point of inviting other people in? What's the point of even sharing this gospel if it doesn't change anything? If it doesn't change anything, then what are we doing here? And this gospel is so transformative in our lives, and it has to be transformative in our lives. It's for our eternal good that we, that we, we, we get to spend eternity with our Father in heaven. That is for our eternal good, but it is for his eternal glory that we live this gospel. It is for his eternal glory that we, that we are shaped by this gospel and transformed by this gospel. We sing that song, not to us, but to your name be the glory. As we live for this gospel, my prayer is that we don't, we don't seek the glory. We don't seek the honor. That we would begin to live not for ourselves, but for for the just and gracious God who looked at us as hopeless sinners and sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, defeated sin and death as he raised from the dead, and that all who would believe, me and you and everyone in the world that believes, would be restored to him forever. Amen. It's got to transform us. This is what it means to be born again. Being born again means that we have, we have realized that we need God. That God has, has changed our hearts within us. He has cleansed us and he has put his spirit within us and that he has transformed our lives. So the question this morning remains. For you and for those outside these walls who we see every day, are you born again? And again, I know many in this room would answer that affirmatively. 100%. 
absolutely. I am born again. I know that God is within me. I, I, I know and I understand my need for him. My life has been transformed. Pastor Chris, you wouldn't even, I could tell you stories for days and days on end about how God has transformed my life. And to that I say an amen. But will we be people who would go out and share these stories? And then, and will we, will we reflect the transformation that's been in our lives? Would we just, as we see people, and as we come in contact with people, would we just, just radiate God to them as we believe in this gospel and as we claim this gospel and as we live this gospel. Let's pray this morning.